Welcome to the Counter Vortex with your ranter, Bill Weinberg, ranting at you in the wee hours of December 15th, 2023, as always, from my apartment on Manhattan's Lower East Side, which fortunately is not under aerial bombardment. Inevitably, for the past horrific nine weeks, we have been concentrating almost exclusively on Gaza and the question of Palestine more generally, and the terms for the debate around that question. Now, there are other things I want to get to and try to concentrate on underreported stuff rather than what everyone else is talking about. For instance, did you hear that 85 civilians were killed in a drone strike on a village in Nigeria last week? No? You didn't hear about that? I'm shocked. Yeah, that happened, but you almost certainly didn't hear about it. But instead of concentrating on stuff that isn't in the news, I feel compelled to return once again to the controversies around the slogan, From the River to the Sea, which is very much in the news and very much the subject of commentary on social media. But so much of what is being said about it is so dangerously off-base and there is such a yawning gulf of perceptions on the question that I feel obliged to try to clear the air a little yet again. A quixotic quest, if ever there was one, but also really damn important. So, here goes nothing. This and two other slogans... Long live the Intifada and glory to our martyrs are implicitly assumed in too much mainstream reportage and political discourse generally to be a call for genocide of an uprising to drive the Jews into the sea that has for so long haunted the Israeli imagination. And by extension, and especially through a third related slogan, globalize the Intifada, to be a call for attacks on Jews everywhere. And these slogans are ubiquitous at the several demonstrations for a Gaza ceasefire that I have attended since the bombing began here in New York City. So, all of you who are making this assumption, do you really believe that there is a widespread movement calling for genocide of Jews in New York City and the United States? Really? You better be sure before you make this accusation, because weaponizing the accusation of anti-Semitism erodes concern with actual anti-Semitism. And here is where the other side, so to speak, may take issue with what I have to say. Actual anti-Semitism is in fact very much in evidence at the moment. 
So clarity about what we mean by these slogans is urgently mandated. And there is nearly ubiquitous obfuscation on both sides, much as I hate to say it. But I'm going to start with the side of the rapidly eroding, but still extant, pro-Israel consensus among the country's political and media establishment. The debacle we witnessed on Capitol Hill last week, with its fallout still dominating the headlines, illustrates a bitter reality. This is what comes of obfuscation and intellectual cowardice. The conversation that needs to be had is whether the River to the Sea slogan does implicitly and always call for the genocide of Jews, quote unquote, as is being portrayed. But rather than risk pissing anyone off by taking that on, three prestigious university presidents got into even worse hot water. I read from the New York Times account of December 7th about the hearing that took place two days earlier, December 5th, in which Representative Elise Stefanik, Republican of New York, far upstate New York, I hasten to emphasize, (laughs) grilled Claudine Gay, the president of Harvard University, as well as the presidents of MIT and the University of Pennsylvania. And, you know, funny, I'm often put in the position of having to defend the New York Times because all of my lefty friends are indoctrinated by the cult of Chomsky and always, you know, treating it like it's the product of some evil conspiracy and every word they print is parsed with this tiresome sense of paranoia. But here, the Times really is engaging in egregiously bad reportage, just accepting the patently dishonest terms for the debate. I read from the text, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules on bullying and harassment? Stefanik demanded of Claudine Gay, the new president of Harvard University. It can be, depending on the context. Dr. Gay responded. What's the context? Ms. Stefanik shot back. Targeted at an individual, Dr. Gay said. It's targeted at Jewish students, Jewish individuals, Ms. Stefanik said. Ms. Stefanik had asked the same question, phrased the same way, of all three university leaders and received similar equivocating responses. If the speech turns into conduct, it can be harassment, Elizabeth McGill, the president of the University of Pennsylvania, said. Conduct meaning committing the act of genocide, Ms. Stefanik said, her voice rising with incredulity. The speech is not harassment. This is unacceptable. The moment on Tuesday afternoon, December 5th, went viral, racking up tens of millions of views on social media. 
The Israeli government even reposted a clip of the hearing and forcing the presidents to issue statements attempting to clarify their responses amid calls for their resignations. The fallout continued through the week. Penn's Board of Trustees had an emergency conference call with Ms. McGill. Ms. Gay apologized for her testimony. And Ms. Stefanik and more than 70 other lawmakers signed a letter demanding that all three presidents be removed by their schools. End quote. So it makes everything worse that Claudine Gay submitted to the ritual humiliation of apologizing, something we've seen time and again in such controversies concerning supposed anti-Semitism by public figures and politicians, e.g., most recently, the chair of the U.S. Congressional Progressive Caucus, Pramila Jayapal, over the summer, apologized for calling Israel a racist state, which it is. But back to the current controversy. I should note that PBS NewsHour did a somewhat better job in their coverage. They ran an audio clip of the same exchange between Stefanik and Gabe, and then NewsHour's anchor Laura Barone Lopez said, quote, Stefanik was referring to slogans that have been chanted at pro-Palestinian rallies on campus, such as, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. That phrase, adopted by Hamas, is seen by some as a call for the destruction of Israel and the killing of Jewish people. Others say it is a decades-old rallying call for a state where all Palestinians can live freely alongside Israelis, end quote. Okay, at least we get that much acknowledgement. The Times didn't even offer any acknowledgement of dispute or ambiguity about the slogan. Just took it as a fait accompli that the slogan is a call for genocide. And again, this is the conversation that needs to be had. And in order to avoid it, in order to avoid a salubrious clearing of the air, Gay and the rest essentially acquiesced in the dangerous fate accompli, and then to defend their position of inaction, waffled about whether a call for genocide should be tolerated. Now, even a First Amendment absolutist, so to speak, such as myself, would hope that there would be some kind of response from campus authorities if a group were to emerge at Harvard saying, Hitler was right, Jews to the ovens, slaughter the vermin Jews, etc. All verbiage that I have actually heard in real life, I will add, or seen scrawled on public bathroom walls, or which we've seen spray-painted on synagogue walls in some of the attacks around the world in recent weeks. But that's not what's at issue here, thank goodness. And portraying it as such is shutting down the needed debate and contributing to the already 
dangerous polarization. Don't y'all get it? So let's see, which Stefanik and the New York Times should have done but did not, what has actually been said about the meaning of the slogan, River to the Sea. Let's take just one example from either side, so to speak, although there are many such examples online that you can find very easily by Googling. First, from the American Jewish Committee, AJC, the page on their website about the slogan calls it, quote, the catchphrase symbolizing Palestinian control over the entire territory of Israel's borders from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, I should interject that much of the territory between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean Sea is not within Israel's borders, but under Israeli occupation, a critical distinction. But to return to the text, quote, how it's anti-Semitic. From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, is a rallying cry for terrorist groups and their sympathizers. From the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine, PFLP, to Hamas, which called for Israel's destruction in its original governing charter in 1988 and was responsible for the October 7th, 2023 terror attack on Israeli civilians, murdering over 1,200 people in the single deadliest day for Jews since the Holocaust. It is also a common call to arms for pro-Palestinian activists, especially student activists on college campuses. It calls for the establishment of a state of Palestine from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea, erasing the state of Israel and its people, a hopefully unwarranted assumption. I will interject, <clears throat> returning to the text. Another phrase, globalize the intifada, which uses the Arabic word for uprising, also calls for widespread violence against both Israelis and Jews across the globe. See globalize the intifada, link, end quote. Again, a hopefully unjustified assumption. Uh, now let's turn to a source with an opposing viewpoint. From an article on Al Jazeera, November 2nd, from the river to the sea, what does the Palestinian slogan really mean? Critics have called its use anti-Semitic amid Israel's war on Gaza, but the slogan has more complex roots, say analysts. Right, that was the headline and the intradeck. Now, uh, an excerpt from the text. What does it mean? To Palestinian and Israeli observers alike, different interpretations over the meaning of the slogan hang on the term free. Nimr Sultani, a lecturer in law at the School of Oriental and African Studies in London, said the adjective expresses the need for equality for all inhabitants of historic Palestine. Those who support apartheid and Jewish supremacy will find the egalitarian chant objectionable, Sultani, a Palestinian citizen of Israel, told Al Jazeera. 
Freedom here refers to the fact that Palestinians have been denied the realization of their right to self-determination since Britain granted the Jews the right to establish a national homeland in Palestine through the Balfour Declaration of 1917. This continues to be the crux of the problem, the ongoing denial of Palestinians to live in equality, freedom, and dignity like everyone else, Sultani said. (laughs) I'll interject that I don't know about that like everyone else part. The Uyghurs and the Rohingya might have something to say about that. But returning to the text, Sultani saw the dynamic at play as an attempt by Zionist and pro-Israeli propagandist to collapse the distinction between the existence of Israel as a state and the ideological apparatus of Jewish supremacy. Through this distorted lens, a call for egalitarianism and for the dismantlement of the system of apartheid becomes an existential threat, end quote. So I shouldn't have to do this for you, New York Times, Annalise Stefanik. So to my opponents on the Zionist side, I say, just stop pretending that there is no ambiguity here and portraying it as a straight-up call for genocide because you weaken our vigilance against actual anti-Semitism by doing so. And actual anti-Semitism, once again, is very much in evidence these days. Thank you very much. And to my allies on the anti-Zionist side, could you also please acknowledge that there is some ambiguity here and do something to clear it up What do we, in fact, mean by from the river to the sea? Because the lack of clarity is hurting us. There needs to be a conversation and a hashing out here. I should also note that um, Representative Rashida Tlaib of Michigan did attempt to provide some clarity when she was caught up in this controversy after using the slogan and was censured by a House resolution, I read from the New York Times account of November 12th, quote, The official congressional rebuke of Ms. Tlaib, the only Palestinian American in Congress, said the phrase was, quote, widely recognized as a genocidal call to violence to destroy the state of Israel. The top White House spokeswoman disavowed it from the West Wing, saying it was divisive and that many considered it hurtful and anti-Semitic. So, a slight admission of ambiguity. Ms. Tlaib defended the phrase as an aspirational call for freedom, human rights, and peaceful coexistence, not death, destruction, or hate, end quote. Okay, but how does the slogan imply that we get to such good things? Because it does not sound like a call for a two-state solution, which is what the Beltway consensus has been for the past generation. More about this later. All right, let's look at the other slogans in question. Long live the Intifada 
and Glory to Our Martyrs. Both, again, a little ambiguous. First, long live the Intifada. Now, there has been more than one Intifada, and I don't believe that one has been officially declared at this moment. There was the first Intifada, 1987 to 1993, which was mostly youth throwing stones at Israeli soldiers on the West Bank and the Gaza Strip, which is, frankly, a little hard to find fault with after, at that point, a generation of illegal occupation and settlement of the West Bank and Gaza. That was the so-called Stone Intifada. The Second Intifada, 2000-2005, was notorious for suicide bombings within Israel, targeting civilians, which contravenes the fundamentals of international law, and I'm not interested in hearing any excuses for, and which, I will point out, claimed the lives of several Palestinians of Israeli citizenship living within the Green Line. And I'll also point out that it even violates the injunction in the Quran not to transgress limits in warfare, Surah 2, verse 9. Now, in 2021, during the last massive Israeli bombardment of Gaza, there was talk of, and briefly, the beginnings of a third intifada, a so-called unity intifada, this time marked by mass protests and rioting by Palestinians within the Green Line, that is, within Israel proper, so to speak. So, uh, which intifada do we mean when we say, long live the intifada? Similarly, when we say glory to our martyrs, which martyrs do we mean? Do we mean any Palestinians killed by Israel? Or do you mean the suicide bombers of the Second Intifada and the Hamas militants who were killed during the October 7 attacks? So, there's some ambiguity here, and I would certainly like to hear unequivocal disavowal of tactics like suicide bombing and what we saw on October 7th, if that's okay. Now, I understand why there's reluctance to do it, precisely because there's pressure to do it, ironically. It sort of seems like saying uncle. I get that. But you want to know what? Maybe we should just get over it. And here's where I'll turn again to the concept of moral jujitsu, which I thought was Saul Alinsky's term, but upon research actually seems to be from a book called The Power of Nonviolence by Richard Bartlett Gregg, 1934, who was apparently an influence on Gandhi and MLK. And the idea is that in jujitsu, the so called gentle martial art, Agility and strategy are emphasized above mere brute strength. You actually use your opponent's actions against him. 
like if he charges at you, you dodge aside and give him a shove as he passes you and send him hurtling under his own momentum and then pounce and get him in a lock. So similarly, if our Zionist and political establishment opponents are demanding that we repudiate the massacre of civilians, and that is, after all, what we're talking about, maybe we should just do it, and then they'll have to find some other means of demonizing us, and it will be obvious that they're in retreat, and we'll have scored a tactical victory. Did you ever think of that? Contrary to popular belief, it seems, There really isn't anything to be lost in clearing the air, only to be gained. Obfuscation or equivocation on this point only makes us look like we have something to hide. And then there has been, sorry to say, some genuinely and unambiguously fucked up shit from our side. For instance, a page on the Anti-Defamation League website notes that one chapter of Students for Justice in Palestine, SJP, at Bard College up in the Hudson Valley, issued a leaflet after October 7th calling for solidarity with the Unity Intifada, quote-unquote, with Images of hang gliders, obviously invoking and glorifying the use of hang gliders by the Hamas militants in the October 7th attacks. I mean, what were you thinking, Bard SJP? And you know, I want to point out, SJP, that back in the day when I was a radio producer at WBAI here in New York, I put representatives of your organization on the airwaves and helped promote your events, especially those at NYU here in New York. And please don't respond, well, what do you want, a cookie? No, I don't want a cookie. I want to make clear my good faith here. I don't have any ulterior motives in calling out this faux pas. And if you want to dismiss my criticism as concern trolling or tone policing or whatever fashionable catchphrase you've got, I can't stop you. But I call it as I seize it. And I think the use of this imagery is an egregious tactical error at the very least. I'll also note that the SJP chapter at Rutgers University in New Jersey has just been banned by campus authorities, which is, of course, to be opposed. But you want to know what? We'd have a much more airtight case in opposing it if it weren't for shit like that. Although I should acknowledge that I do not know if such imagery was used by the Rutgers chapter. The media accounts have been kind of vague unfortunately. The Anti-Defamation League also notes a rally here in New York City called by the rather Orwellianly named Tanky Group, the Party for Socialism and Liberation, who I don't like for other reasons, which are entirely clear to longtime listeners. 
in which the following slogan was used. Resistance is not terrorism, quote-unquote. Yeah, well, resistance is not terrorism until it is. What an incredibly impolitic thing to say after October 7th. Okay, now, PSL, Party for Socialism and Liberation, has been more or less openly supporting the bombardment of Ukraine by Putin and the bombardment of rebel-held areas of Syria by the Bashar Assad regime for years now. So we know they don't give a shit about human life and are in no moral position to be protesting the bombardment of Gaza. But again, we need to get this out in the open. Now, I understand that terrorism is a propaganda word. And certainly, Israel's indefinite detention without charge of stone-throwing youth under ostensible emergency anti-terrorism measures is to be opposed as an abuse of language as well as a violation of international human rights norms. And certainly, we should reject and call out the double standard by which the retail terror of terrorists is portrayed as the ultimate evil, but the wholesale terror of aerial bombardment is legitimized. But Killing 1,200 people in one day kind of crosses the line from retail to wholesale. If the word has any meaning, I think we can call that terrorism. Or worse, because there are worse things than terrorism. Acts of mass murder may actually go beyond mere terrorism. On the other hand, I must also point out on the question of double standards, the numerous pro-Israel campus groups, such as Students Supporting Israel, the Israel on Campus Coalition, and Stand With Us, which implicitly, at least, support the bombardment of Gaza, at a minimum, calling for support for Israel at a time when it is bombarding Gaza, which pretty much amounts to the same thing, even if they don't have the guts or the honesty to put a banner saying support the bombardment of Gaza on their websites. So there's all this outrage over supposed support for a hypothetical genocide, but we're all supposed to completely accept real support for an actual genocide, which appears to be what is underway in Gaza. And that's not just my assessment. United Nations international law and human rights experts issued a warning November 7th that the Palestinian people are at grave risk of genocide, quote-unquote, and on November 27th, issued a call for war crimes investigations over the Gaza bombardment. Uh, one such investigation has been opened by the International Criminal Court, whose authority Israel continues to reject. The chief prosecutor of the ICC, Karim A.A. A. Khan, 
concluded a trip to Israel and Palestine on December 3rd, the first visit to Israel and Palestine by an ICC prosecutor, where he uh, heard grievances from both sides. Families of October 7th attack victims called upon him to investigate possible war crimes and acts of genocide committed by Hamas against Israeli civilians. Palestinian rights groups joined by five countries at the United Nations, filed their own referrals to the ICC, accusing Israel of war crimes and genocide. Khan also met with Palestinian authorities, including President Mahmoud Abbas. A number of Palestinian rights groups refused to meet with Khan, accusing him of prioritizing Israeli claims over long-standing Palestinian complaints. Palestinian human rights organizations and others have brought suit against President Biden, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, and Secretary of State Anthony Blinken for complicity in genocide and violating the duty to prevent genocide in relation to the Gaza bombardment. The Center for Constitutional Rights filed the case November 13th in U.S. federal court on behalf of Defense for Children International Palestine, the Al-Haq human rights groups, and individual plaintiffs affected by the conflict, asserting violations of the 1948 Genocide Convention and the 1988 Genocide Convention Implementation Act. Given all of this, The standard Zionist response that the entire apparatus of the UN and international human rights community has a bias against Israel, and anything any UN official or human rights monitor says can be merely dismissed on that basis, is obviously dangerous and cynical in the extreme. And it's especially telling that the Palestinians as noted in their refusal of some of their leaders to meet with Khan, think that international bodies are biased against them. So it is an utter double standard that all these pro-Israel campus groups have complete impunity to rally around Israel and make excuses implicitly or explicitly for the bombardment of Gaza, while there is all of this outrage focused on the pro-Palestinian groups. And what makes this cynical weaponization of the charge of anti-Semitism especially dangerous is the fact that real, unequivocal, undisguised anti-Semitism is certainly very much in evidence. And if some of my supposed anti-Zionist allies are going to respond, what anti-Semitism? All I see is anti-Zionism when Jews have been attacked in the streets of New York and Jewish-owned shops and synagogues and Jewish cemeteries have been targeted for vandalism and even arson all over the world over the past weeks. Not interested. Sorry. And that's why this unthinking rallying around Israel and weaponizing of the charge of anti-Semitism is ultimately bad for the Jews. It creates a boy who cried wolf syndrome. 
which is going to ultimately erode concern with real anti-Semitism. Don't you get it? So typically, I'm going to win no friends or very few friends with this rant by calling out both sides as it were. But again, I have to call it as I seize it. There's no point in doing a podcast or any kind of public commentary if I'm going to pull my punches. However, in closing, I have to make clear that just because I have criticisms for both sides doesn't mean I'm in the proverbial middle of the road with the dead armadillos in the memorable phrase of Jim Hightower. I'm on the side of a free Palestine, and I want to see a single secular state, or, if we may really dare to dream, a secular confederation of self-governing communities bound by principles of voluntary association, in a nod to my anarchist ideals, from the river to the sea. Yes, and criticisms aside, I'll be out there at the protests here in New York City as long as the bombs continue to fall on Gaza. So if you're in the metropolitan area, dear listener, see you there. This has been Bill Weinberg with the Counter Vortex. Check us out online at countervortex.org. And uh, please support our year-end fund drive. We'd like to raise a very modest $500 by the end of the year, and we are $150 toward that goal, thanks to two longtime followers and supporters of the Counter Vortex here in New York City, Christine Halverson of the Rainforest Foundation and Dave Lippman, the celebrated radical folk singer. Big thanks to the both of you. So uh, if you were among that small coterie that gets and appreciates what we do, dear listener, please join them. Either sign up to support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash countervortex, for a buck or two per weekly podcast, or make a donation through our website, countervortex.org. Join the Counter Vortex, join the resistance, and rant on you next time.